Hello, and welcome to the Poet Prophetic Podcast. Here is the next instalment of The Gourmet Gospel, continuing with Section 6. Enjoy! Freedom in Action Quotes Nowadays, most people die of a sort of creeping common sense and discover when it's too late that the only things one never regrets are one's mistakes. Oscar Wilde Milton thought God's greatest gift to man was reason and the freedom to exercise that reason in the act of choosing. A man incapable of making a mistake would have been a man incapable of significant decisions, incapable of enjoying a sense of achievement. Scott Elledge In planning the course of our lives, we must remember the importance and the dignity of our own freedom. A man who fears to settle his future by a good act of his own free choice does not understand the love of God, for our freedom is a gift God has given us. The purest love of God is not servile, not blind, not limited by fear. Thomas Merton Think of all the resources at our command when it comes to making decisions. Our spirits are joined with God's Spirit. Our hearts are imbued with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Our minds are the mind of Christ and set on what the Spirit desires. And what the Spirit desires may shine before us like the star guiding the three kings to Jesus' birthplace, so that no diversion or distraction shall deter us. As the aforementioned neuroscientists Schwartz and Begley point out, the essential achievement of the will is to attend to one object and hold it clear and strong before the mind, letting all others, its rivals for attention and subsequent action, fade away like starlight swamped by the radiance of the sun to strengthen one idea rather than another so decisively that the privileged idea silences all the others and emerges as the one we focus on. Meanwhile, the spirit of life has removed from our criteria questions of right and wrong, which are manifestations of law. Rather, we follow our hearts, our path of joy, of peace, of love. Our status as children of God also frees us to make mistakes to fail. Unlike the slave, whose initiative is stifled by the consequences of failure, we can never jeopardize our standing with God our Father. There is no need for paralysis through analysis or fear over developments we cannot control. As Thomas Merton observes, we may not have absolute certitude that God wills one thing to the exclusion of every other, He who loves us means by this to leave us room for our own freedom, so that we may dare to choose for ourselves. And if we have such freedom in the big decisions of life, how much more in the routine and trivial? Fears of making a mistake are not real. We can dismiss the world's psychosis of damned if you do, damned if you don't. No, our dispensation is blessed if I do, Blessed if I don't. The angel of the Lord goes before us, even to the end of the age, and heaven's resources follow. In the words of Goethe, Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, 
There is but one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. It is this, that the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would otherwise never have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the fateful moment of decision, raising in one's favour all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance which one might never have otherwise dreamed could come one's way. And having made our decision, we are free from the curse and false idol of coulda, shoulda, woulda with regard to the alternatives discarded, as Herman Melville points out, the might have been is but boggy ground to build on. In any case, God has written in his book the days ordained for us and will bring us, one way or another, to the outcome he intends, whatever twists and turns we make along the way. In the words of Shakespeare, there's a divinity that shapes our ends, rough-hew them how we will. Let us therefore trust in him who is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnitemporal, and whose thoughts concerning us outnumber all the grains of sand in the world. You cannot blow it. Quotes. There is no other man who can replace you in your life, in the arena you've been called to. If you leave your place in the line, it will remain empty. No one else can be who you are meant to be. You are the hero in your story, not a bit player, not an extra, but the main man. John Eldridge, Wild at Heart If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. 2 Timothy 2.13 God's steadfastness to his plan for our lives whatever our meanderings or retreats, is amply illustrated in the life of Moses. The sole male survivor of a genocide, Moses must have known his life had been set apart for something special, and as he grew up in Pharaoh's court, he became powerful in speech and action. But sometimes, a sudden shift in circumstances can fundamentally shake our confidence. Later, when Moses is alone in the desert, Bereft of Egypt's supports of wealth and status, and the Lord reveals to him his life's mission, supported with ample demonstrations of divine power, including a burning bush and a private viewing of miracles, Moses demurs almost to the point of refusal. Who am I to do this? He asks. What if they don't believe me? I am slow of speech and tongue. Send someone else. My lips falter. He literally recites chapter and verse about why he is unqualified for the job. Yet Moses goes on to become God's agent of history-changing miracles. Moreover, as the plagues against Egypt unfold, his confidence is so transformed that he can go off script in his dealings with Pharaoh. Thus, instead of the Bible's usual refrain that Moses did as the Lord commanded, we proceed to the Lord did according to the word of Moses. Nor was Moses by any means alone in failing to thwart the constancy of God's calling. Look, for instance, at the objections Gideon raises 
when the Lord appears with instructions to save Israel from the Midianites. Where are all God's wonders of yore? My clan is the weakest. I am the least in my family. And so on. Many are the instances where the saints, having heard their mission from God, respond with reluctance, doubt, distraction, diversion, indifference, avoidance, initial failure, or even outright refusal. But the Lord does not abandon them, abort the mission he has in mind for them, or appoint someone else to do it. In Abraham's case, God's promise of innumerable descendants, including the pledge that these would come through his wife Sarah, held firm, despite the patriarch's subsequent dalliance with his slave girl and his repeated lies about Sarah's true status as his wife. Then there's Peter, who denied Christ three times before the crucifixion, but who is three times reinstated after the resurrection, as Christ asks him three times, Do you love me? God, who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, can no more give up on us than disown his own Son, in whom we dwell and who dwells in us, nor than a mother can forget the baby at her breast. Our names are written in the book of life, inscribed on the walls of the city of God, even engraved on his hands. We have his permanent, indelible birthmark. You've been listening to my audiobook recording of the Gourmet Gospel, and I'll continue releasing the audiobook in installments over the coming months. To get your copy, go to the relevant book page on my website, poetprophet.com, where prophet spelt P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Before I go, here's the latest from my Verses Verses Empire series. Get it? It's a homonym. Pompastic. After the UN report on biodiversity and ecosystems, a million species are about to perish, with only 60 harvests left. And yet, Pompeo celebrates Arctic destruction for all the gold and diamonds he can get. More opportunities for trade, for oil and gas, uranium, minerals and exploitation, increasing devastation, degradation, disaster capitalist contamination. Hell-bent on climate change, what's the solution where such political pollution lies? Unless, like Christ, we overturn the tables, mankind's one of the million set to die. And I'll close with this poem, also written in the past week. We chatted on seeing a photo on social media. Idly I scrolled, as many do through myriad images on screens, until I saw a wedding photo and whispered, what a pretty bride, bedecked in red, bouquet in hand, and round about her family, well-wishers, 
so I magnified the picture for a closer look. Oh, God. It's her. It's you who glanced my way those years ago. Enough encouragement to dare to seek your number. Later, dare to kiss. Darling, do I detect in you your studied pose, some hidden sigh, some melancholy reminiscence? Or am I seeing what I want to see, hoping for some Dickensian reversal as befell poor Pip, betrothals broken to bestow true love and not convenience? Rather, convention would decree, I wish you happiness. I start the message, but I cannot finish, my heart rebellious to my lips. How many men, like me, regretted audience to weddings, not their roles. This tale is commonplace, and yet it hurts. It really, really hurts. Until next week, this has been Abdiel Leroy. Thank you.